have a passion for adventure. We just want to see what's out there and to have new experiences and to appreciate the best parts of our world. Welcome to Through Here, a podcast about road trips, people, and places. Through Here is recorded on Treaty 2 territory. The land is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabeg, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. The land is also used by Indigenous nations from Treaties 1, 3, and 4. Season 1 of Through Here takes place in Riding Mountain National Park, a vast forested oasis amongst Manitoba's hundreds of kilometers of prairie, and a destination for many travelers. If you'd like to learn more about the setting of Through Here's first season, head to the Where's Here section of throughherepod.com. A Big Adventure It's what Anne and Rob take their kids Rosie and Arlo on every year since before Rosie was even born. Once a year, they all pile into their car and travel for a good chunk of time. Usually six weeks was that number, if I remember correctly. In this episode, we sit down with the family while they were stopped in Riding Mountain. You'll hear more from me than usual this episode because I spent the first half hour of the interview unaware that I had forgotten to hit the record button twice, meaning it wasn't actually recording the whole time. Idiot. Anyway, we live and learn. And whatever. We talk about their trip so far, what it's like to travel with kids, and how it changes as they get older, and why it's important to Anne that her kids experience the world through travel. In the latter half of the episode, we catch up with Anne now and talk about the rest of the trip and how it went and what's in store for next year's big adventure. I screwed up big time on this episode, so you're going to have to hear a lot of my voice retelling a story as a narration. It's just basically when I got back from this interview, I wrote it all down in a Word document, all the stuff that I could remember, and so there's a lot of stuff that's missing, which is vastly disappointing. But as listeners, you won't know what that story was in the first place, so it will probably be less disappointing for you than it certainly was for me. I'm just going to read what I wrote when I got back from this interview, and then we'll launch into the part of the interview that I did record, and then we'll take you through the interview that I recorded last week with Anne about how the trip turned out and what the big adventure is next year. So Anne and Rob are quiet, and their two young children are most certainly not. Their dog, Maya, a nine-year-old mutt, is the most relaxed of the bunch. Their daughter, Rosie, approached me curiously upon first seeing me and asked about the rips in my jeans and why were they there, which I found amusing because normally the only people that ask me that are middle-aged dads who think they're being funny. So that was very comical for me. Anne and Rob have been taking their kids on what they call their big adventure since their oldest, Arlo, was six months old. They stopped briefly when Rosie was born and took a much shorter trip, but they still made sure they squeezed a big adventure in. They lived in Oregon, and Anne was working in a lab studying pikas when she got pregnant with Arlo. They looked at daycare, but it wouldn't make sense as it was too expensive, so one of them had to stay home. They got the idea for their big adventure when it was decided they'd move back to New Orleans, and one of them had to give up their job. It was Anne who became the stay-at-home parent on the condition that they adventure for six weeks of the year. Their previous trips have been to Central America, across the states, down the West Coast, and across the whole of the USA. They decide their journeys through research that they do, 
and by referrals from fellow people and adventurers that are doing similar things, coming back to them and telling them their stories about where where they've been and what they thought was the coolest part. They call Canada an oasis. Anne says she finds solace and rest in Canada's great expanse. She briefly talked about the current political climate in the USA and started discussing how greatly divided the country is and how stressful it is a lot of the time. She paused and said, oh, but that's veering off track. And I started to think about how little we get to know what's really going on in the eyes and ears and hearts of everyday Americans. We really only hear at the end of the day, in Canada at least, who is screaming the loudest. Maybe you aren't here for politics, here listening to through here for politics, but I think that the world we live in doesn't really give us a lot of choice anymore. We have to hear these stories and we have to, I think, mindfully participate in them, but that's just my opinion. And said, and was saying these things because last summer they were driving through Virginia when the riots were happening in Charleston. They'd been racing back from Nova Scotia to get home for Arlo's school to start when they passed through. And the reality of the oasis that is Canada to Anne and Rob hit Anne pretty hard. She knows Canada is still affected in some way by the political turmoil of the South, but feels like at least she can do something, as in vote and talk to people and get people to vote and whatnot. We can't do anything, but we're also Canadian, so we're mild, we're semi-protected. She said she loves Canadians and holds people who believe in environmentalism and value parks and the wilderness in high regard. We are a kind people, and she enjoys the friendliness that we provide. Anne actually has a very cool backstory. I didn't get to hear Rob's because he was taken the kids for a walk and then took them for ice cream so that we could chat and actually have a good discussion about their big adventures and what they're doing. But during the part that I forgot to record, Anne described to me her career, which I thought was very cool. And that's that when Anne was younger, she read about the Ho Rainforest or HOH Rainforest. I did some research and I couldn't figure out how it's pronounced. So that rainforest is in Olympic National Park. And when she read about it, she said, one time when I have enough time, I'm going to go there and I'm going to walk there and I'm going to spend some time there. And that opportunity came for her when Hurricane Katrina hit because she's from New Orleans. She was living in New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina hit and she couldn't go back to university. So she had some time that was made available to her. So she made that her destination and she backpacked down the Pacific Coast Trail, which is not the Pacific Crest Trail, but Her backpacking experience on that trip was a major player for her when she went back to school in January 2006 when the school reopened. She got picked for for an internship to work in the Central African Rainforest because of her experience previously backpacking the Pacific Coast Trail. On this internship, she did a lot of very interesting research, which we talked about at length. She was studying certain different kinds of uh, an animal that I can't remember right now. She did a lot of DNA research by collecting poop samples, which she does talk about a little bit in the interview that I did with her the previous week and and what she did when she was there. She compared that and, and was analyzing it for evolutionary differences, I'm pretty sure. But that's about all that I can remember from it. There's like goofy things that Arlo and Rosie said that 
are lost forever, and I am greatly disappointed by that. But the episode that I put together for you guys is very interesting, and Anne has a lot of great things to say, especially about being a mother and prioritizing travel and, and adventuring and not letting kids get in the way of you wanting to do that, and also how integrating kids into doing that makes it better overall in the end. Sit up here, my. Come on, come on. You can do it. Come on, <laughs> come on, big girl. My name is Anne. I'm from New Orleans. And where did you start? We started in New Orleans, Louisiana, which is home. We went to the highest point in in Alabama. It was our first destination, which is Cheetah State Park. And then from there, we crossed into Canada at Port Huron and made our way to a family cottage in Amberley, Ontario, just south of King Carden. From there, we took Highway 11 up and over Lake Superior. We stayed first at Kettle Lake Provincial Park, and then that one that I can never remember the name of, something a lot of vowels in there. <laughs> so I looked it up for you guys, and the park we're talking about is called Negagamasis Provincial Park. So, Negagamasis. According to Ontario Park's website, the name means lake with fine sandy shores in Cree, but I'd take that information with a grain of salt. It's kind of near Timmins and kind of near Thunder Bay, essentially in between the two. At the end of the day, all you need to know is that it's very beautiful. Northwestern Ontario is very, very beautiful and, in my opinion, vastly underrated. And though I've never been to Negagamasis, there's no one I trust more to tell the truth of this place than Anne. I need that map. That map helps a lot. I think I took it. That's okay. Oh, sweet. Thanks. We saw Brian Adams in concert on Canada Day. Wow. Where? <laughs> in Timmins. He's playing a concert. That's one musician I've always known is Canadian. Like, oh, Brian Adams, he's Canadian. <laughs> I guess Shania Twain and Celine Dion. Yeah, too. Shania Twain's hometown is yeah, Timmins. Yeah. And we went to Thunder Bay. It's camped in Chippewa State Park, Provincial Park, excuse me, uh, outside of Thunder Bay. So that the kids can go to the amusement park. And Rosie liked the airplanes, and Arlo liked the tilt a whirl. From there, we went through Winnipeg and stopped and had lunch at the Forks. Winnipeg is a really cool city. I was surprised at how metropolitan it was, how international it was. It was just thriving. It was a thriving city. We weren't really expecting that in the heart of Canada. How did you like the Forks? It was cool there. It was really cool. It was just a fun place to hang out. Everyone was like so like bend over backwards nice to us there. Like was a pedicab driver who like gave us free ride from our car and was like oh don't worry if the meter doesn't work like we're not going to give you a ticket and like okay thanks people watch us a lot just because we're like kind of an oddball family of these two like loud always getting into something kids and the dog people sit around and watch so i felt like we were getting watched a lot in the forks just 
in a nice way. People were really friendly and, and smiled at us. From there we've come to Riding Mountain National Park and today we rented a bike and rode around town. Arlo is learning how to drive even though he's only five. Oh, I guess so he's really excited he really liked to turn the wheel. That was kind of a big deal for him. We took the kids to the beach and they played in the water. Rosie said it was freezing. <laughs> I did not go in the water because I believe her. Yeah, it's a pretty cold lake. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being a kid and playing in Lake Huron and being like, come on in, mom, it's not freezing, I promise. Like, it was freezing, it was definitely freezing. And then we took a drive while Rosie took her nap in the car. Uh, we took a drive out to look for bison and we didn't see any, but it was a lovely grasslands. Did you see other animals? You know, we've seen other animals on this trip so far, but we didn't see anything out there. Oh, we saw those barn swallows that were at the bison information station. That was pretty cool actually, because mm -hmm. they fly like right close to you and like do little nestings. I don't know what they were, feeding their babies or building or something but yeah um, I think they have babies this time of year yeah mm -hmm. they were very busy very active and that was actually really neat that was the only wildlife we saw on that drive Rosie really likes bears but she's also scared of them mm -hmm. and we've seen a lot of statues of bears that's a big thing like to have like wood carvings of bears so like she plays this game where she tries to see how close she can get and then she just like loses her nerve and is like, oh, it's scary, he's gonna eat me, I gotta run away, ah! And then we do it like five billion times because that's what you do with kids, is the same thing over and over again. What was your favorite spot I so really far? liked Nagagamasis, that was beautiful. It was, it was just a really, quiet and peaceful lake and a beautiful place to be. And I really enjoyed this drive on Highway 11 for just how isolated it was. It gave you the feeling of being in sort of an empty place where there wasn't a lot of, there, there was a sign that said your next service is in 200 kilometers, like make sure you get gas. And I'm used to American highways where we have like rest areas every five miles and you know a McDonald's at every corner and it just it didn't it wasn't that it was it was empty and it, I enjoyed the emptiness of that drive. And how did how has this trip compared to the one you took before the the one you took last summer through eastern Canada? This one has been a lot more buggy <laughs> but we did more city life cities things when we were going through Quebec. We haven't had that as much on this trip. This one has just been a lot emptier. That, that drive has been, it's not as busy as Quebec. It's different in that Rosie's a little older this year. She's more aware of what's going on, so she's been more of a participant in our activities. You know, going to Prince Edward Island is gorgeous, but Nova Scotia was really beautiful too in its own way. I, I have a fondness for agricultural settings that does something for me so just to see all of the fruit fields in in Nova Scotia and like get to go berry picking and, and I enjoyed that. How has your kids getting older changed these big adventures that you take? Yeah well I mean especially with Arlo's he's We've been doing this with him. This is his sixth big adventure. Well, sorry, except for the year that we missed one with Rosie being born. He's done this every year since he was six months old. So he's gone from just being a dead weight 
to someone who weighs in on what we do and where we go and what his idea of fun is. And it, in a way that's sort of cut into what we get to do. When your children are, before they acquire free will, you just strap them on your back and you go on that five mile hike, uh, 10 kilometer hike. But now you, we have to be more mindful that, you know, Rosie's stubby little legs can't walk for even two kilometers before she needs to be held. and. She doesn't want to be in a backpack because nobody else is in a backpack. And in some ways, them getting older has, has limited what we've done because we can't, now that there's two of them and now that they're heavier, we can't just carry them where we want to go. We try to also be more mindful that we can't keep them in the car as long, that they need to get out and run around more. We used to do, when Arla was one and a half, we did, we just, we did like, oh my God, like, 20,000 kilometers across the U.S. It was just so, so much driving in between sites. And we've really toned it back as they've aged to trying to keep the drives shorter, partly just because they start fighting back there if, if we, you know, we're in the car for too long. And partly because we're super sick of kids bop, which is the only kids music that they want to listen, the only music at all that they want to listen to. And like, we all just want to get out of the car. You know what kids bop is? Mm-hmm. It's kids singing yeah. pop, pop songs. songs. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah, have they... two albums of kids bop and somehow that's the only CDs that made it into our car. <laughs> and it's also the only thing that keeps them sane, like when we're hitting hour six. So like we do it, but dear God, like... There's a lot of tension about kids bop right now. <laughs> and then they fight like, uh, oh God, well, I want to skip this song. I'm like, no, we're not going to skip this song. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've definitely toned back the number of hours that we put in on each drive as, as they're getting older. Why do you do these big adventures? Yeah, well, I mean, the easiest answer is that it's just way too hot in New Orleans right now. It's just unbearable. It's kind of like our winter right now in that it's just, you can't go play outside because the heat is just so oppressive in the way that uh, being super cold could limit you being outside. So we just want to get out of the heat and enjoy the beautiful summers somewhere else. It also stems from my husband's work schedule. He's a musician and an audio engineer, so the tourism that drives his career dries up in the summer, and he doesn't have a lot of work, so it makes sense for us to leave (laughs) and go somewhere else. We have a passion for adventure. We just want to see what's out there and to have new experiences and to appreciate the best parts of our world. We found that the best way for us to do that is just to pile in the car and go and and go and see these places and enjoy them and appreciate them and learn about them and value them. And also that it's about being together. The journey is, is in some ways more important than the destination. I mean, I was just talking about how miserable it is to listen to kids bop over and over again, but like being in the car is together time that we don't always get as a family when we're at home and Rob's working, Arla's going to school. Um, we don't get to just be together and have the time to talk to each other and, and answer each other's questions and explain things thoroughly to each other and to the kids. 
for all of those reasons, it's, it's, it's important to us that we do this and that we do this for them, that they can have a love of adventure that we have and that we don't have to stop adventuring now that we have these kids that we have to take care of. I'm going to be frank with you all, since I feel like if you're a regular listener by this point, we've built up some trust, you probably like this podcast, and you maybe understand what it's all about. When I got the phone call from Anne, I almost didn't answer my phone. Why is that, you may ask? Well, it's because I had completely forgotten I put a flyer under a car windshield that day. There are many ways I found and got people who were road tripping to talk to me. One of those ways was by a tiny little flyer that I put under the windshield wipers of cars I thought looked really cool or looked like they were partaking on a road trip. By this point in the summer, I had really started to feel kind of downtrodden about this project after my initial success being able to find about four to five people to chat with me. I had really started to run into a wall. I was telling people about it, my friends who worked in the visitor center at the park were telling people they knew were road tripping about it, and I was putting out flyers under wipers all day, every day, but to no avail. So one day at lunch, I saw a Subaru Forester, which this car is significant in some way in my life, which is why I noticed it but that's besides the point. Then, after noticing the Forester, I noticed that it had a Louisiana license plate. The friend I was with, Allison, told me I might as well put one under there. What could it hurt? So I did, and then I immediately forgot about it. So when this weird phone number showed up on my phone and it said the number was from Louisiana, I was like, what is this telemarketer and what do they want and why are they calling me from Louisiana? And then Allison said, it's the people, the Subaru with the plate, and I gasped. And then proceeded to tell me over the phone about the big adventures and how that's what they were on right now and a bunch of other cool things. And then we arranged a time that I'd meet them at their campsite and we'd do an interview. I hung up the phone and... I immediately started full-on bawling. I don't think Allison knew what was going on, and maybe no one else was home, but nobody would have known, and I'm sure that's a sight that's concerning to those who know me, as I rarely express any emotion outwardly that's not like annoyance, anger, or disappointment. Certainly, many people have never witnessed me crying. But anyway... I somehow explained to her that this is what I was doing this project for. This is what this podcast is all about, was all about. These are the kind of people I wanted to meet, and I was just really overwhelmed in that moment, especially because I was also so discouraged in general about the project as a whole. Because nobody was participating or responding to me or wanting to participate in the podcast. So, as you already know by now from my narration at the beginning, this was also the interview that I screwed up the most, and I'm still extremely angry at myself to this day about it. Do you know how much cool shit Anne said in the first half hour that just went up in flames? And there was more stuff from the kids in there too. Arlo said some really insightful things that I was like, oh my gosh, how did a kid just say this stuff? But at the end of the day, it's lost. I'm still so glad that I met Anne and Arlo and Rosie and Rob. And I think that this is one of my favorite interviews and people that I met through doing this season, so I hope that you continue to enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed interviewing and listening to Anne's story. Has adventure sort of always been a driving force in your life or in Rob's life? And how did that, how has that developed since you guys met each other? Mm-hmm a good question. Yes. Um, Rob's parents. This deeper question quickly became my favorite to ask. Why are you the way that you are? 
It threw off many of my guests. It throws me off when I think about it. In a later episode with Matthew, we delve into this further, but for now, just revel in this response. Responses like this are what made me dream up this project and what make me love people and pursue this at all costs. It became my favorite to ask in these interviews, but I also ask it a lot in real life now, and I think it drives a lot of people up the wall, but I think that it leads to some really interesting conversations and I get to know people really fast, really fast. told him, I wish he was here to say it, but Rob's parents told him, save all your money and spend it to travel. There's nothing better that you can spend it on. And his parents took him camping. My, um, my dad took me camping a lot growing up and took me traveling and, and gave me an appreciation for the outdoors. And my mom liked to travel too in her own way. She taught me a lot about the value of learning about different cultures and just going to foreign countries, going to, to new places, just to see what see what is out there in in the world. So yes, yeah, stems a lot from our childhood and how we were, were raised, and we want to give that to our kids and pass on what we were given from our parents. And that was adventuring was our a big part of what Rob and I have in common and what brought us together as a couple. Some awesome great dates that were adventures that were you know camping trips together hikes exploring that's how we've definitely how we've connected as a couple how did you know that this was like that the big adventures were a thing that you wanted to do like did you think of that plan before you had kids did it come into fruition after you had Arlo well part of me when we when we realized we were going to have a child we sat down and looked at daycare costs and finances and how to make it work and we realized we were living in Oregon at the time and I was working and realized that, that moving back to New Orleans and me staying home would allow us to have this big adventure that was kind of what made it tolerable for me to give up working in a way and stay home is knowing that we could have this big adventure every summer instead of us both working and Arlo going to daycare from an incredibly young age. So that, yeah, when we made the move from Oregon to New, back to New Orleans, we kind of um, added it as our lifestyle that we would spend our summers traveling instead of when we lived in Oregon and we were spending our weekends traveling. Right, because it was probably easier. Yeah, like Oregon Because you're in Oregon. Gorgeous. Oh. There's so much. There's so many destinations in Oregon. Yeah. I mean, we lived there for a year, and every good weekend we could, we were trying somewhere new, and we still didn't hit half of them. I haven't been yet. You gotta go. The whole West Coast is beautiful. Yeah, it's on the list. Here we start talking about my own trip that I took several years ago now. I try not to talk about myself and my experiences in this podcast too much because it's not about me, it's about the people I'm talking to. But you get to hear a little bit more now by default. I don't think it's especially interesting stuff and I think some of it I may have already chatted about with some of our previous guests. But you're going to have to hear all about Grasslands National Park now. I mean, you have to go there anyway, because yeah. it's BAM. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, I like Kananaskis better, which is like a provincial park, okay. which is all has the Rockies in it. And Grasslands is like probably a little out of your way, but it's at the bottom of Saskatchewan. Uh-huh. And it's like untouched, like untouched grasslands. Okay, neat. Yeah, 
probably like the Badlands in North it's, South Dakota. Yeah, in a way, but not. Okay. Like, it's Sometimes like, I get confused about how Canada lines up with America. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> because, like, under us is Badlands. Is a bit yeah. Hazy. We have really good geography, but. It has, like, the same sort of, um, like, how the land sort of caves out and stuff, but it's all grassland. Okay. So it's, like, not, like, well, I've only been to Alberta's Badlands, so I don't, I don't think I've been to South Dakota's. No, I've just been to, like, the area around Mount Rushmore in South Dakota, mm-hmm. which is nice in and of itself. But it's probably because I grew up on the prairies that I'm, like, that's my favorite national park that I've been to but yeah I think there's definitely something to that like I actually was born in Ohio and it's very agricultural we grow a lot of corn there and like there's something special that happens in my brain when I'm looking down a cornfield in those straight rows or when I'm looking out across a field of like I think we've been seeing a lot of alfalfa or something that has this purple pretty yellow flower right now and yellow is canola canola okay Mm -hmm. wait I thought alfalfa is purple okay okay but yeah, there's something like something that just does something like yeah. is essential to who you are and where you came from. That certain landscapes trigger certain feelings yeah. in you. As Rob doesn't get why I, I love driving through farmlands <laughs> like that. I can't remember now if I've went on this rant in a previous episode or not, but this was kind of my thing this summer and last. And if I'm being honest, probably all the summer since I went to grasslands and thought about the prairie landscape in this deeper way. I don't throw the word obsessed around lightly, but I would say it's something I talked about much too often this summer. I don't know. Maybe if I left and came back. But there's something about grasslands where I'm like, this is un it's like untouched Mm -hmm. whereas like I'm from the prairies but like all the prairies that I know are agricultural land like I don't actually know what what the prairies used to look like so yeah I was there and I was just like oh my gosh like all of this land used to be like this Mm -hmm. so it's probably has to do with growing up on the prairies but yeah I was just like it's this is so underrated I don't know I like the the mountain parks that are that less people are at like Kootenai mm-hmm. and Yoho. The dog's actually a big character in our story too. I didn't really talk about her at all. Because <laughs> she's so chill. Yeah, she is. She, I mean, <laughs> she's nine years old and she's been along for the ride, like, you know, from the beginning. But, she, you know, she's up for anything. Like, I had her on a paddleboard the other day and she was just like, okay, I'll lay down on the paddleboard and try not to rock the boat. Like, That's wild. But she's also like, our biggest obstacle sometimes to doing what we want is like you can't take dogs there okay well someone's gonna have to stay back with the dog mm-hmm. or like we got to do things in shifts because the dog or we're gonna eat fast food yet again because the dog like <laughs> oh yeah i didn't ask you about food you yeah. normally ask about food it's a big deal <laughs> it's hard to feed the kids healthy sometimes when you're living out of a ice Forester. box yeah yeah and it speaks to the larger issues of food security in America, at least. I mean, uh, you know, we, I'm sure that there are issues with food insecurity in Canada, too, but of how it's hard to feed a family if you're living out of your car, you know, feed them healthy as you're feeding them preserved food. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if this was a vacation, you know, if this was a week of feeding them crap, it would be one thing. But when it's 
six, <laughs> six weeks, weeks of feeding yeah. them crap, then you start to like worry about developing bad habits and making sure they get vitamins and minerals. And I try not to compare myself to families that are forced to live out of their car, but because it's, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely different what we're doing. Like I don't even pretend that I'm in any way insecure, but it you can sort of empathize with people that the struggle yeah. with people who do that are forced to live out of their cars with their family's face. You can draw similarities, Mm -hmm. even though it's not the same reality. That would be a fascinating contribution to your podcast if you met some (laughs) someone that transient family. You know, someone who moved for work and lived in their car with their family because of unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. Well, who knows what the summer holds? Yeah. Who knows what your little flyers will ding up? If you weren't paying attention in one of the interjections I made earlier, the flyers she's talking about are how I found her and her family. And I think probably how I found around half of the people I interviewed. I made these little sheets of paper, probably half the size of a postcard, that explained what I was doing and if they were interested or wanted to know more, they could text or call me, I put my phone number on there, or they could email me and I put through here's email on there. I was like, oh, God, is that a parking ticket? I know, everyone thinks that, and then I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Rob took the kids to go get ice cream while I chatted with Anne, so there'd be no interruptions, especially after we lost all the interview from the half hour before that. Now they're back, and you can hear them for a little bit before we finish the interview. Oh, you brought me ice cream? Hi, Barbie. Hi, sweetie. Hey, Mama. This is Ashley, Mama. This is one, so this is, this probably is yours. Is this your ice cream you're sharing with me, or did no, you guys? No, he had a whole one already. I can see that on your yeah. face. No, I'll go on. Do you want to do that? 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 Do you Arlo? We gotta clean this kid up before she's competing in any photograph. She looks like a beggar child. I was washing my hands when I got all the dice. Can, can I have some of yours? Mm-hmm. I ran far Oh, I'm okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Arlo, can you say your name to the recording? Arlo. Now let's practice our one time, okay? It's gonna go like this. You say, I'm Anne. I already did. We're gonna do it all at once so she can have one. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm Anne. I'm Rob. I'm Arlo. And this is Rosie. And everybody lean into the recorder. And Rosie, don't talk. You guys ready to try again for the real one? Okay, go ahead. I'm Anne. I'm Rob. I'm Arlo. And this is Rosie. And this is Maya. The dog. Did you all did you get one? <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Yes, it has 36 minutes okay. now. Can you get down, please? <laughs> oh, dear God. You're a little heavy. 36 minutes, mm-hmm. that's a lot. Hey! Mm. Okay, so that ends the Running Mountain portion of our interview. I thought it'd be cool for us to hear how they're doing now and how the rest of their trip went. So I emailed Anne and then essentially Skyped her and recorded her audio in real time. It doesn't sound the greatest, but you can still hear and understand what she's saying. And she has some really cool updates. Now I just want to take a little second here to talk to you guys about my friends at Create Simple. The world is changing and 
I don't know about you, but I really value this planet and I love all the cool things it has and does. At Through Here, we find it pretty important to take active steps to making the world we live in a more environmentally friendly, more sustainable, and more green one. That's why we love Create Simple. It's an online community dedicated to helping people find more simple, creative, and better ways to live more green and more sustainably. It hosts workshops in Winnipeg, creates online resources, and is constantly engaging with people wanting to learn more. The next event that they have coming up is in February. You can make your own face masks. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can check that out. I'm going to link you to the Eventbrite link so you can get your tickets right from the iTunes description if you want to. I love the content of Create Simple. It's always helping me to keep up with what's on the cutting edge in the environmentally friendly alternatives world. You can check it out on Instagram or Facebook if you'd like. That's it's called Create Simple, or you can visit its website at createsimple.org. Now, a word from our friends at Six Tiles Media about their brand new podcast called Exit the Echo Chamber. My name is William Rhoda. This is Six Tiles Media, and you're listening to Exit the Echo Chamber. Three, two, one, go! The first publicly traded hemp company, cannabis company. Activism came first. Join me every week as I discuss arts, counterculture, and mindfulness with some of the most interesting minds in Manitoba. Project Safe Audience, we're a Harvard Action Initiative. The thing I'm most known for is the show, Kim's Convenience. Exit the Echo Chamber, available now on all major platforms and at sixtiles.com. Six Tiles, don't get confused. <laughs> After Riding Mountain, we headed over to Saskatoon. I think my husband needed stable internet connection for a few days so that he was available for a work thing that he had going on back home. And we spent a couple days in Saskatoon. We had a great time there. I learned about potash, which is something like 50% of the world's potash is grown in the Saskatoon area. And it's absolutely essential for global food production. It's an important component of fertilizer. And it's, it's all being grown right there in Canada. So that was interesting to learn. There's zip lines in this potash park. Um, that we found in Saskatoon, and oh my god, Arlo especially, who is, well, was five at the time, had a blast on these little mini zip lines that we found at the Potash Park. That was a good stop. That was worthy of its time. And then we went on to the Dinosaur Provincial Park in Alberta, and my son, despite being a five-year-old boy, hates dinosaurs. He was... <laughs> that we were taking him to a dinosaur park. And I think he has sort of a cartoon version of dinosaurs. I don't think he quite grasps that they're these real magnificent creatures that once roamed the earth. But little, I guess at the time, one and a half year old, almost two year old Rosie was, was all about the dinosaurs. She thought that that was just the coolest thing. She, she, she was quoted as saying, oh, Daddy, don't, don't hit the dinosaurs. And also... I don't want that T-Rex to eat me. So that's uh, the two-year-old perspective on Dinosaur Provincial Park. Don't let the T-Rexes eat you. But that was a stunning place. I mean, that, I think, was, is worthy of national park status because that place is just unlike anywhere I've ever been before in terms of, you know, you, you pick up a rock off the ground at Dinosaur Provincial Park, and it's like, that's probably a fossil. Like, that's about 70 million years old. And they're just everywhere, every little, like, peck of... of stone on the ground you think it's a stone until you look at it more closely and you realize that it's a 
it's a you know a, a velociraptor claw or a tooth or or some other fragment of bone. They're just everywhere, and the landscape there is also stunning. We went up to uh, Drumheller and went to the Royal Terrell Museum, and that was a good pairing to to, to be the night before at um, Dinosaur Provincial Park and see where these fossils are are coming from, and then go to the museum and see these social media no if you did what we're doing we you can find us at the handle at through here on a ton of social media on instagram pinterest and no Tumblr, twitter ideal. facebook we like are doing some pretty great things together. there you we get to interact with the episode content in a, in a very special way and we're going to be launching a spotify account right away i know you can listen to through here on spotify already but we're going to launch our own account and we're going to post some cool road trip tunes playlist for you that we've been curating over the past couple months definitely check us out on spotify and if you aren't already follow us on all those other social media outlets since i've already overshared a lot this episode i'm gonna take you on a little journey uh story time with Alyssa, if you will about when i interacted with going to the sun road i agree with Anne. it is a most beautiful drive and glacier has some pretty epic forests, which if you know me, you know that's what I'm into most, forests and trees. Anyway, I went on this one epic road trip once. You've heard bits and pieces of it through what I've told the people I've interviewed. Essentially, I moved to Calgary once and when I decided I was doing that, I also decided that I wanted to make a huge road trip out of it. Now, there are a lot of mountains in Montana and we really wanted to drive through there. So that meant all my belongings were with me and we were driving through huge mountain passes. On one of them in Helena National Forest in Montana, my car essentially died. It didn't die, but like it wouldn't accelerate anymore. Luckily, by the time we made it to the top, because we had been going like 110 kilometers an hour, it was still motoring at a solid 50, but it made me really scared. <laughs> for the rest of my journey and so all the other mountain passes from that point on were kind of 
extremely stressful for me. And the next big one was Logan's Pass, which was in Glacier and on the Going to the Sun Road. My little station wagon that I drive every day made it and it's still kicking it like four years later. It made it through Logan's Pass, so we bought a bumper sticker that said Logan's Pass on it. My car still proudly wears that sticker after all this time. And then at this point, we were a little tired. <laughs> so we went south in Montana and found a free national forest site near Sealy Lake and we, we camped on a lake for almost a week and it was nice to not constantly pick up the tent and jet around to all these different destinations. It was nice to just stay put for a minute and settle into a place and really slow down and, and relax for a minute near at a beautiful spot and I had the chance to, I, I stopped by a local bookstore and picked up a copy of A River Runs Through It which is set Partly, um, completely in Montana, but partly right on Sealy Lake. So it was cool that I got to read the book, which I had never read before, and it's an exquisite read, right where the book was set. So I really enjoyed that. After Sealy Lake, our next destination was in Colorado. We went to Steamboat Springs and found another free national park site up on a little mountain. We took the kids to the rodeo. Turns out little Rosie has a real passion for rodeo. Um... <laughs> Who would have guessed? A girl is always surprising me. But she said the favorite, her, her favorite part was the, was, was the horses were jumping, which I think she was referring to the, the bull riding event. But she really got a kick out of that. She kept talking about that for days and days after about the horses jumping. But she also really liked the barrel racing when everyone would go, woo, and cheer as, as they come into the final mm -hmm. stretch. She he immediately picked up on that routine, that, that pattern, and, and was all about cheering for the horses running fast. So both kids had a really good, we all had a good time at the rodeo, and it was it was nice to just kind of do, Steamboat Springs is a little bit more county, and we did some, like, you know, eating breakfast at cafes and just being civilized people for a couple days. And from there, we went to Great Sand Dunes National Park which is in more southern part of Colorado. That place just, that was one of my favorite destinations on the whole trip. I, and I can't quite put my finger on why. I think partly because that park, it's, even though it's a national park, they have a rather laissez-faire attitude about how they, how people are allowed to use the park. So for example, you can go out on the dunes. Let me back up and say that, that Great Sand Dunes is this giant, you know, story scraper, tall sand dunes piled up against a mountain background. It's these giant sand dunes that you can go out and just climb on. We rented not a sand, like a sandboard, I guess, like a, a snowboard, but mm -hmm. up for sand and a sand sled. And we went sledding and played, you know, got to play like little kids. And our kids got to be kids. And, you know, they don't have much sledding experience because we don't get much snow down here in New Orleans. So it's it was like, almost like they got to have a, a quasi-winter, only it was sand. The, back to the point I was making about it being a, a rather laissez-faire park is that you can go out on the sand dunes. You can bring your dog out there. You can go out there at night. The park never closes. So if you want to climb out onto the dunes and stargaze at night, you can. It, it was a stunning experience to see the stars at night in that 
part of southern Colorado. We saw meteor showers, just breathtaking arrays of stars. So I really enjoyed that place. It's a small park. You can easily feel like you can only go, you know, after six hours there, you're ready to move on. But if you slow down and force yourself to spend a couple days there, the intricacy of the place kind of reveals itself to you. And it's easy to fill three or four days there with super fun activities. So we had a good time there. And then our last destination was Garden of the Gods, in, also in southern Colorado. And that, that was beautiful. I happened to run into my brother there. He was in town with his family for a wedding on his wife's side of the family. So I got to meet up with, with my brother unexpectedly. We didn't plan that at all. We just happened to connect on Facebook that we were both in the area and got to see him and have a little bit of time with his family. So that was special. From there, we kind of booked it home. It was getting to be mid-August. And it was time to start thinking about getting the kids back to school, or at least Arlo back to school. Also, any further south than that, and it starts to be a little too, once you get away from the Rockies anyway, it gets to be too hot to comfortably camp in that part of the summer. And that brought us uh, full circle. So overall, how does it compare to your other, you call them big adventures, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so overall, how did that one compare to your other big adventures that you've had? The kids are getting older, and they're getting more involved in having input in where we go. And they're also getting more and more able to hike, swim, to keep up with us, basically. So I would say that our big big adventures just keep getting better and better. And so it's easy to think of this one as the best one yet. Right. Although that's... It's not a, any, an, in any way an insult to any of our other big adventures because they've all been pretty awesome. Right, but the kids add to the experience. Yeah, well, just they make it, they're getting easier to take along. It's a lot of work to drag your kids across, you know, 13,000 miles of a car trip, and uh, they're finally starting to pull their weight a little bit. And they're starting to pull their weight in helping with camping, too. Arlo was able to help get the tent up. He, he made it his chore, if you will, to, to inflate our air mattresses for us every day. And not every day, but every destination. Mm-hmm. And, and it's nice that they're finally starting to pull their weight. You were telling me in our emails that you bought land in Canada. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure. When you live below sea level, as we do here in New Orleans, you accept the inconvenient truth of climate change. You kind of always need to keep in the back of your mind what your plan B is for where you're going to live. (laughs) And Rob and I, throughout our relationship, have always talked about where we're going to get our land. It's always been this kind of abstract idea of like someday we'll get some land and we'll have some land and we'll we'll go there and it'll be our land and it'll be our, our backup plan, our, our, our other place for the times when New Orleans is inhospitable, in, inhabitable rather I should say. So we've been saving, rolling little bits of money away here and there and Rob has a passion for keeping an eye on real estate. He loves to go online and check real estate listings, both locally and, and he follows Land Watch. And, and this posting came up, listing rather, that's the word, in near Nipigon, Ontario, 69.54 acres off the grid, but there is electrical running down a road that's maintained by a golf course that's across the street. It's just seems right. It seems like what we've, we've been looking for. We pulled the trigger and, and pulled it off. 
it's ours now. So we, we finally bought our land. But it's, it's not going to change that we take, it's, it's a new part of the big adventure. Going to the, I want, I've always felt strongly that I want my kids to have a strong connection with nature. And in some ways it's hard because I didn't grow up hunting or fishing. So I'm not going to be the best person necessarily to teach them hunting and fishing, but I want them to have a place where they can go to freely roam, to be unplugged, to be off the grid, to, to, to wander around and get lost in the woods. And I'm excited to give this, that they're going to have this place that we can go to in the summer. And it can just be our place to set up our tent, to maybe build build a structure, maybe park a broke-down RV. We haven't seen it yet beyond Google Earth images, so we don't haven't quite decided what the best approach to, to putting a structure on it will be. But our plan for this next summer is just to go up there with our tent like we do and use it as our home base to explore the area and see what we can find. When I was working in Central Africa, I was collecting biker species for my research to extract the DNA. And I would use different approaches depending on what site I was at. So if there was a site with high hunting pressure, I might have five days to do a site and I might walk two days due north to get away from the hunting pressure and keep moving every night with my gear to cover new ground. And that kind of reminds me of the trips that I've been doing with my family where we're moving every night. But when we were in sites with low hunting pressure, we could just walk through one day and set up a base camp and then do cardinal direction transects on our five field days to, to get our samples. And that's kind of what I imagine that having the land will be more like is setting up a base camp and using it as, as a place to um, explore the area from. Right. I'm excited about that. I'm excited for the North Shore of Lake Superior. I'm excited for the Boundary Waters. I'm excited for Lake Nipigon. It looks, it, you know, now that I've I've picked this as my place, I keep I started following different social media projects about the area. Oh, it's just it's also breathtakingly pretty. I can't wait for it to be my new summer home. Yeah, that's so exciting. Because I remember that you like when I talked to you in Riding Mound that that was the area that you liked that you had liked the most like by that point uh-huh. so that is exciting yeah. once we you know i'm not even sure i'm saying nipagon right it might be nipagon so i'm gonna keep calling it nipagon we realized i think it was three summers ago when we were doing our minnesota trip and then the north shore of lake superior from west to east we we stopped in the town of, of nipagon and i think we just stopped there to buy groceries and a bottle of wine was our only goal but then we found this little splash pad, and we ended up staying there for several hours and just thinking, oh, what a sweet little quaint town that this is. And we didn't remember, when we bought the land, we didn't remember that we had been to Nipagon before until I was really zooming in on a map, and I found this um, Paddle to the Sea Park, which, which I remembered because it was a book that I had read as a child, the Paddle to the Sea book. And so we realized that that was the place where we stopped and bought that bottle of wine. And we had been there before, and we, we loved it there. It felt very affirming. Yeah. Whoa, that's, like, that's so cool <laughs> that you didn't know that, and then it just tied together later. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's it for Anne, Rob, Arlo, and Rosie, and Maya the dog. If you want extended content from this episode, don't forget to visit us at throughherepod.com. New content is up on Through Here's website under the Where's Here section. We will be posting content every second week here, showing you what great things there are to explore and discover in Riding Mountain National Park all seasons of the year. Thanks for listening to episode 7. We'll be back next Thursday. Oh, I guess this is actually episode 8. We'll be back next Thursday with Rebecca and Brooke, two gals who traveled across Canada this summer in their decked out modified Grand Caravan. As always, if you'd like to hear, see, and experience more from through here, we have extended content on our social media pages. So give us a follow on Tumblr, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Spotify, all at the handle at through here. You can join us every week, every Thursday for new episodes of Through Here. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating if you like what we're doing. Have a great weekend and don't forget to stay curious.